Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I Get Knocked Down, But I Get Up Again edition, as Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the Bengals' first scrimmage of training camp. With no preseason games, NFL teams have to do some tackling at practice this year, and we'll tell you who stepped up when the Bengals started knocking teammates down. Plus, I'll talk to former NFL GM Charlie Casserly, now with the NFL Network and NFL.com. If he had been in charge of the Bengals going into this year's draft, would he have taken Joe Burrow or traded the pick? He'll answer that question. And finally, this week's one-on-one player interview is with C.J. Uzama, now the old man in the Bengals' tight ends room. Those were his words, not mine. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since a golf lesson. I love golf, and at various points in my life, I've been a decent player, certainly not great, but somebody who could pretty consistently shoot in the low 80s with the occasional round in the 70s. Well, not this year. I stink, so much so that when I've had the chance to play, I've wanted to sell my clubs at the end of the round. So this week, I broke down and took a lesson from my friend Doug Martin, the former PGA Tour player who is now the head coach at UC. It was awesome, and in one hour, I felt like I was back on track. So if you're a struggling golfer, don't give up. Take a lesson. After just one hour, I think that I no longer stink. Now, let's get to football. On Friday morning, Joe Burrow faced his biggest test of training camp to date as the Bengals held their first scrimmage. The rookie quarterback even got tackled by a Gatorade cooler that Burrow tripped over on a scramble out of bounds. Joe Cool hopped right up, and after everybody breathed a huge sigh of relief, the cooler was quickly yanked out of the way. That occurred on the third play of an 11-play touchdown drive. Quite a start for Joe Burrow, and Dave Lapham joined me to talk about it when the scrimmage was finished. Lap at the NFL Scouting Combine, we learned Joe Burrow's hand size. Well, now after seeing them scrimmage for the first time, we need his jacket size for the gold jacket that he's going to get going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm obviously being facetious, but he was really impressive today. He was out there for five drives in the scrimmage. The Bengals scored three touchdowns and two field goals on those drives. Now, I should point out on the field goals, he started at the opponent's 30, so what would be known as the red zone plus, didn't get any first downs on those two drives. So those were really wins for the defense, but still, by my stats, 13 for 19 overall, a pair of touchdown passes to Auden Tate, and a very impressive showing. Very impressive, Dan, and uh, you know Zach has got a scoring system on these scrimmages where the defense can score points. I mean, if they hold the offense to a field goal like they did, the offense gets three, the defense gets four. So, you know, and then if the, if the defense gets a takeaway at seven points, if the offense scores a touchdown at seven points. When Today, I, I think of the letter C or the scrimmage that took place. I take the letter C, uh, not meaning he graded a C, just the letter C because the dude had complete command. He was in total control of things. He communicated to everybody. He did not 
look like a rookie quarterback whatsoever. A couple of defensive coaches that I uh, had a chance to speak with, like long distance, you know, I said, what's your take on Burrow? Huh, the kid can play. I mean, he's a player. There's no question about it. He is, he's impressed everybody. And, and when you look at it in the scrimmage, Joe Burrow um, didn't have a lot of his weapons. You know, A.J. Green uh, was, was not in the mix whatsoever. T. Higgins, not in the mix whatsoever. John Ross, not in the mix whatsoever. Varying reasons for that, Joe Mixon only played in one little part of it that was not live tackling, was thump drill. Giovanni Bernard, didn't see Giovanni Bernard out there very much at all, if any, that I could recall. So, I mean, it, it, Tyler Boyd, eh, no, no, not going to play. You know, took care of uh, guys on defense, too, like, you know, Geno Adkins. He didn't, he didn't see the football field. Defensive tackles, he protected. You don't want to lose DJ Reader. You don't want to lose Daniels. You don't want to lose Geno. There are no defensive tackles to get anywhere, and they've already lost one in Wren. So I, I think they were very smart about the whole thing. But back, back to Burrow with the offense. So what did he do? Auden Tate had a day because Joe Burrow. Alex Erickson had a day. It's like, hey, these guys are NFL players. I know they're going to do their job. I'm going to do my job. And those guys stepped up, and when he gave them opportunities to make plays, they rewarded them. The thing that Auden Tate showed today, Dan, that he's shown forever is his ability in the 50-50 ball. It's 75-25 at worst with him. He's like a, like a tremendous rebounder. I mean, he gets position, uses that big body, and, man, he and, – and right now, Joe Burrow already saying, if you're one, I'm going to you. If you don't catch it, I no, you're not going to let the de- defense make a play on it. The ball's going to go on the ground. If you don't catch it, Joe, the ball is going to hit the dirt. It's not going to be in a defensive uh, player's hands for an interception. So you can already see the trust and confidence that those guys have built up. And, you know, you mentioned it uh, in one of our uh, training camp reports, the the, uh, the dynamic between Tyler Boyd and, and Joe Burrow is, is building because they're taking so many snaps together. I'm excited to see when he gets all of his weapons. I mean, you know, the number ones as such, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the number ones. Really, when, a lot of the number ones, projected number ones, for various and sundry reasons, weren't going. Boyd and Bernard were out there on that very opening drive with the thumping, not the tackling, but that was pretty much it for those two guys. I do want to go back to the very first drive of the day for Joe Burrow. It was an 11-play touchdown drive. He was 6-for-6, but the first two plays were runs by Joe Mixon. They did not pick up a first down, so now it's third down. Burrow drops back to pass. Pretty good pass rush takes off and runs for the first down to keep that first drive alive and then methodically marches them down the field. That's another aspect of his game that's going to come in very handy. There's no doubt, Dan. I mean, you know, Lamar Jackson was MVP because he could beat you throwing the football and he can beat you with his feet. You know, Joe Burrow does not have the speed and the athleticism of Lamar Jackson. I'm not trying to make a comparison there. But what I am saying is when things start to break down, he has enough foot speed enough uh, make you miss, you know, enough uh, suddenness, enough quick twitch to extend a play and extend a drive, create plays. And, yeah, I mean, Joe Burrow has the ability to make plays with his feet as well as his uh, throwing arm and uh, in his brain. More importantly, most importantly, is, is he understands the game of football. He sees the field so well, and he diagnoses uh, what he's looking at so quickly. He makes decisions very, very uh, sure decisions in a, in a very expedited fashion, man. And he gets the ball out. He, he's a very impressive kid to watch. He was not perfect, no. 
Uh, on one drive, he had C.J. Uzama open in the end zone after buying a little bit of time and scrambling to his right. He missed him when he was open in the end zone. On the very next pass, he threw a touchdown to Auden Tate, so no damage done there. But he also threw a very dangerous pass at one point, rolling out to his left, pointed downfield to one of his wide receivers, and then tossed a deep ball down the middle of the field. That'll get intercepted a lot in a regular NFL game. And then thirdly, there was a, a deep ball to Alex Erickson, who was open, and Joe didn't really step into it that much, kind of floated it down the middle of the field and, and didn't get it out there far enough for Alex Erickson. Yeah, it didn't lead him quite enough, and it, it had a little bit too – it hung in the air a little bit uh, a little bit too long. But I, the, the thing where I think he is, I mean, really fun to watch, when we're watching from behind the offense like we're allowed to do, watch from the end zone, we're standing on the field of play. And I like that because I can see the protections, I can see holes develop, you know, in the running game and all that. But I can also see Joe Burrow, what he's doing when he slide steps and, and what he's looking at. And, and when he throws that football in the intermediate ranges, it is impressive where he's putting that ball. I mean, it is tight windows, man. It's like that's the only place he could have put it to get the completion he got, and he put it right there. I mean, dime, big-time dime. So th- that, that part of it is where you make your bread and butter in the National Football League. And, you know, he, he led, the, uh, led college football in uh, quarterback rating under pressure and completion percentage under pressure, and he was second in all of college football with throws 20 yards or more. So, I mean, he can do both. I mean, he, he can hit that short and immediate stuff with the best of them, but he can he can get those chunk plays for you. And on the drives we talked about, uh, you know, the, the numbers that he put up, he chunked them. He had a few chunk plays in there. You know, it's not like it was screen passes, nickel and dime stuff, you know, tight end on a hitch. I mean, he, he chunked them pretty good. I'll tell you where he's especially accurate, in my opinion, on those slants, mm-hmm. like a 7- to 10-yard slant. He hits the guy in stride. He was really effective on those to Mike Thomas and Auden Tate. And, you know, Dan, there's, there's a lot of times there's going to be traffic there. And if your receiver's like, don't, throw, don't hang me out to dry, don't make me stretch out for that thing, when those guys run those routes, they're running them with such confidence that Joe's going to hit me where I know he's not going to put me in danger. He's going to deliver the ball where I can make a catch on it, and I'll still be able to protect myself from that from that big hit because, you know, all it takes is a slant or two where, you know, the defensive back's counting the receiver's ribs. I think I'll hit him between rib three and four on this one and come back to the hell like, dude, don't do that to me again. You know, the receiver to quarterback. And, and Joe's, I think, very, very aware of that, and, and he puts the ball right where it should be put for sure. I didn't see Geno Atkins at all. Carlos Dunlap and Sam Hubbard were out there a decent amount. Carl Lawson played a lot. I don't remember seeing DJ Reader. Uh, Mike Daniels was out there a little bit. So Zach Taylor obviously. Okay, Reader a little bit too. So Zach Taylor was obviously uh, resting and protecting some of the big name uh, defensive linemen, uh, particularly the veterans. But with all of that in mind, how did the offensive line do in your opinion? I thought they did pretty well. And, uh, you know, Jonah Williams to me, it's encouraging to watch him play. He has what I call football character, and it's it's not just, you know, what he says, because some guys talk a good game, you know. But then can you go out and play? And the dude, he he is, he is a focused, you know, dialed in, grinded out guy, and he's he's getting his reps against Carlos Dunlap when he's in there or Carl Lawson, pretty good combination. And like we said, you know, I mean, his first two games, Joey Bosa and uh, and Miles Garrett, 
I mean, he was drafted by the Bengals to block guys like Miles Garrett one-on-one. Miles Garrett was drafted by the Cleveland Browns to beat guys like Jonah Williams one-on-one. And Miles Garrett got a second contract already, a biggie. And Jonah Williams, you know, is the 11th pick of the draft. Bengals are counting on him to be a plug-and-play guy for a decade or more. They're going to be playing against each other a ton. But he gets those two guys in 100 hours, you know, uh, Sunday at 4 o'clock and then, you know, Thursday night at 8 o'clock. Man, a Shevitz. That's, you, you, but, but I think he's going to be able to handle it. And I liken it to the first time I played against Joe Green. It was my personal Super Bowl. I mean, I was so geeked up. Man, I could have picked the stadium up that night. Joe is another game to Joe. Who's this? You know, and I'm thinking, you know, everybody's expecting Joe to kick my butt. And if I block him a few times, he'll be like, oh, who's this dude? You know, he's easy. Hung in there with Joe. Jonah has to have that mindset. Everybody's going to be watching Jonah Williams go against Joey Bosa, who just got the big deal. And then cha-ching, Miles Garrett tops that or vice versa. It's like they're, they're the two highest paid pass rush, edge rushers in the game. Jonah gets to prove himself right away. It's a big opportunity. I think he's going to handle it that way. And watching him out there in practice, he's preparing that way. Not just every single day, every single snap. And a couple of times, you know, I saw, I saw an, like an emotional reaction from him. So I'm sure on the field he was exulting a little bit, you know, after touchdowns. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. He and Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan was doing some of the same thing. I think that left side could be pretty decent. I really do. I mean, they're young, you know. I'm both second-year guys, but Jonah didn't even play in his first year, and Michael's played some and really grew. And now those two could be a nice tandem for a decade-plus on that left side. You should have just given me and Joe Green a Coke. <laughs> We'd have taken it easy on you. Coke and a smile. Coke and a smile. Following up on the O-line, they did have some pre-snap penalties yeah. today, so uh, Jim Turner will be barking about that in the next offensive line meeting. And, and, you know, Dan, it's uh, like Zach addressed it uh, when we talked to him after the scrimmage. It's like you got to be dialed in because Michael had one early, and I could t- my, he was so jacked up. He came off the ball and tried to knock the linebacker into next week. So, I mean, it, that's, that's part of that is really – obviously, you have to be you, – you, you have to have a controlled rage is the way I used to describe it. I'd go into a game thinking that this guy tried to rob my house – and do something bad to my family. That's the way I hated him. I wanted to destroy the guy. And you're all jacked up, geeked up, ready to go. But then you have to be controlled enough where you're just not frenzied, you know, running around, assignment errors, bad, you know, not in the snap count. It has to be a controlled rage, a controlled frenzy. And sometimes balancing those two things, you know, are, are a little different. But uh, yeah, they'll get cleaned up. Those things will get cleaned up. Ball can't be on the ground. You know, you don't want to see any of that. You don't want any assignment errors, any mental errors from that standpoint. And Zach initially, I think, was pretty pleased with that. I did see a free runner uh, that, uh, that that an offensive lineman get taken out of the scrimmage over and, uh, and was replaced. So there's going to be very little tolerance for those kind of things because you certainly don't want to be the guy who let an inside linebacker with a straight B line to your quarterback, Joe Burrow, and hit him and was open up a new can of quarterbacks. You don't want to be that guy. You'll never live that one down. So at a diner, you got the special of the day. That's kind of how it feels right now with the Bengals starting linebackers. It's like, all right, who's on the menu today to start at linebacker? And for the scrimmage with the ones, the first two guys today were veterans, Josh Bynes and Jordan Evans. But after that, it was shuffle them in and out, mix and match. That continues to be the theme so far. Did anybody look particularly good to you today? You know, I I still continue to, to, to like, you know, 
uh, both Logan Wilson and, and Davis Gaither, I mean, they, they do flash. They can, they can really run. They can really run around. Now, again, uh, it does, I'm not as tuned in, having been a former offensive player, I'm kind of tuned in to looking at it from an offensive lineman perspective. Was there an assignment there? I'm not as in tuned. Okay, did he take the proper drop? Was he in the right gap? I mean, I can tell if a guy's in a wrong gap. Don't, and I didn't see necessarily any of that. And uh, I, I didn't see any glaring mental errors by those guys. But uh, there may have been some, some, some problems, you know, poor angles taking, taken, maybe not enough depth on a drop on some completion. You know, who knows what the, the fine-tuning part of it is. But, but watching those guys play, they need reps. You know, they just need snaps. They need repetition. Repetition breeds comfort level. And, man, if you could take, uh, you know, uh, suck Josh by some of his brain and, and, and inject it into the into the rookies, you know, and transpose some of the transfer some of that uh, some of that gray matter with all of his ex, uh, experiences. And there's no substitute for experience. You know, there's there's no other way to get it other than to go through the experience. So um, it is an interesting mix there with Josh Bynes and those young guys. So after the scrimmage, when Zach Taylor did a conference call with all the reporters and you know answered ten questions about how great Joe Burrow is. He made a point without being asked to single out Will Jackson as a player that he thought was excellent today. Yeah, Will Jackson. I mean, I'd have to look at tape to, to see that, but but he, like he's a quarterback calling plays, so his eyes go to the perimeter on the back end, and, and he wants to see coverage and he wants to see who's providing tight coverage. And, and if Will Jackson kept jumping into his eye, into his vision, you know, he's going to say, "Hey, that guy. He, he was." He was consistently effective, and that's good. That's good to see out of Will Jackson. You know, I mean, he needs to he needs to have that kind of day. But other guys, I thought, you know, had pretty solid scrimmages. But but no, nobody like Jacques Patrick. Jacques was uh, he was he was unbelievable. He, he hundred yards rushing. It seemed like in, in one drive. Um, but yeah, Florida State kid, big body guy. Um, he does have some special teams experience in 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 college and in the XFL and I asked Zach in the in the conference call, you know, without special teams games where Darren can actually see them against other colored jerseys play special teams, you know, does that how does that factor in? And they are gonna like there's a scr- another scrimmage Dan that we're gonna call on radio by the way on WLW and uh, so they'll have special teams periods there that I sounds like are gonna be live and and part of that evaluation process will take place and they're almost gonna have to do that. You know, see if guys can finish plays, get guys on the ground. And, um, you know, I, I remember Paul Brown was so innovative and so great and such a such an uh, inspiration, you know, as a coach. And he'd, he'd always say, Dan, about this time of training camp, you know, we can trick people, we can fool people, we can do all that. The way. But, guys, you still have to block and you still have to tackle. And that's what today started it off. You still have to block. Linebackers, defensive players have to get off blocks, have to tackle. And Paul Brown, every single practice in training camp, we would stretch and then do routine tackling drill. Everybody tackled. Lineman, offensive lineman against offensive lineman, quarterbacks against quarterbacks, punter against place kicker. <laughs> and you would line up, and it wasn't live, but it was 45-degree angle at a you know decent little clip, get your helmet across the bow, head in front, and take him to the ground. You'd get used to going to the ground tackling people. Because if the defense turns you over, you've got to tackle the guy who will score a touchdown. His big part right at the very early stages, as soon as you get loose and warmed up, routine tackling drill. Everybody takes somebody to the ground. That was Paul Brown. As innovative and creative as he was, the basics, man, 
block and tackle. That's football. Jacques Patrick, the running back you were referring to, had a 40-yard run and a 15-yard touchdown run on the same drive. I'll tell you another guy who had a good day today, Ryan Finley. Two touchdown passes. Uh, both of them came in that red zone plus area where they started at the opponent's 30-yard line. He threw one to Alex Erickson and the other to Mason Schreck, wide open, running down the seam. And he also had a deep ball completion to uh, Alex Erickson earlier in the scrimmage. Yeah, and, and, and this is where, you know, year one to year two, hopefully Ryan Finley, he, he got a taste of it, and it was probably a bad taste in his mouth. I'm sure he wanted to spit it out pretty quickly and, uh, and, and use some mouthwash and, and start over and, and use it as a learning process, a learning tool. Um, he, he was put in a very, very tough situation. There's no question about it. You took some knocks. I mean, it was a very, very difficult and desperate scenario, but – you learn from it, and he—I think he's learned from it. He's a very intelligent player, and he is making some plays, and that's going to benefit the football team, no doubt about it. You have to have more than one at the quarterback position, and history has shown that. We talked about Drew Sample on a recent uh, Bengals training camp report, video report, and about how he has transformed his physique going into this camp well he had a huge gain on a throw up the seam from Joe Burrow and I don't remember him having any catches like that last year yeah he did the run after catch was impressive I mean he got his shoulder pad squared up and went north and south like man right now and uh, I thought he was pretty good at the line of scrimmage blocking too the, uh, the Bengals, uh, they had various in a sundry schemes uh, utilized today, but one of them was the pin and pull that was so good for Joe Mixon toward the end of the year, and, and Drew Sample had some nice pin blocks, you know, and, and uh, you know, he, he blocked down and pinned one time, and Bobby Hart came out and had a nice, uh, nice block out in space as a pulling lineman, uh, led to, a, you know, one of their touchdowns, and it, it's, it's encouraging to, you know, to see these, these young players. I mean, that's who the, that's who the Bengals are. When, when you look at a lot of the positions that, that guys were playing, we talked about Jonah Williams, Michael Jordan, Trey Hawkins has not been, he's not a, you know, a grizzled veteran guy, you know. I mean, that offensive line, Bobby Hart's the, the oldest player in that offensive line. He's not, you know, not a gray beard. Um, Drew Sample, C.J. Zama, it's, they, this roster, there's, there's a lot of guys they're counting on in the early stages or in the prime stages of their career. Prime for me as a, as a former player was like years four to seven. But now they're playing so much longer, it might be four to nine or four to ten because they are playing, you know, so much longer. But uh, in the way nutrition and weight training and all that, the way they're taking care of themselves um, and they're getting paid so much, not to worry about off-season jobs. <laughs> so it's a, it's a different animal. But there, a lot of young players are going to be given the keys to the car as such, and they're going to have to learn to drive quickly. All right, final thing. T. Higgins has been going through wide receiver drills prior to the scrimmage type stuff at practice for the last few days. He'll be back out there soon unless there's a setback and there's no reason to fear that there will be. We happen to see A.J. Green rehabbing on the Paul Brown Stadium field inside of the stadium uh, prior to our uh, video report yesterday. So A.J.'s getting closer. John Ross is back in town. Uh, going back through the COVID-19 testing protocol. So within a few days, he's likely to be back. So I think sometime next week, we're going to see Joe Burrow throwing to all of his weapons. Yeah, and I think that's going to be potentially uh, this next scrimmage, Friday night at Paul Brown Stadium. I think that'll be preseason game number three as such, where, you know, everybody gets quite a few. You play 
first half, cool down, warm back up, play a series in the third quarter. I think that they'll, within reason, uh, they'll they'll play you know quite a few of these guys. I mean, John Ross hasn't even you know been in the facility for for a while, but they said he was looking really good physically, and he knows the offense. I mean, he he participated in in it last year. I mean, T Higgins. How quickly do you want to get him out there? I'm sure you want to try to get him out there as quickly as possible with you know Joe Burrow and, and get him indoctrinated into the tempo and speed of the game in the National Football League. And you know, interesting to see how much AJ Green will play. You know, if they continue to maybe uh, you know treat him with kid gloves a little bit and make sure the one thing I know they want to make sure of is AJ Green is available for the opener against the Chargers. The hell with scrimmages, the hell with, you know, whatever else. Just make sure that you've got him tracking uh, to to participate and make plays in that season opener against the L.A. Chargers. But, you know, Joe Burrow and A.J. Green, they'd like to get some timing, you know, and some repetition. So I'm excited about seeing uh, the, the true number ones. And, and like we said, you know what? The, if you're a pro, if those guys aren't playing – the thing you have to do is take advantage of opportunities presented to yourself. Auden Tate, Alex Erickson, good job. You'll sleep well tonight. You took full advantage. As Lap referenced, we will be broadcasting an upcoming scrimmage on the radio. That will be on Sunday night, August 30th. Before we get to our next conversation, here's a quick reminder that you can take your Bengals pride to the next level in 2020 with an official Bengals fan package from Prime Sports. If you had to pick one decision in Bengals history that the team would most like to have back, it was probably back in 1999 when they turned down a bunch of draft picks, including multiple first-round selections from the New Orleans Saints, and drafted Akili Smith number three overall. Washington had the fifth pick in that draft and wound up making the trade with New Orleans, getting six picks in the 99 draft plus first and third round selections in the 2000 draft. In other words, Washington traded one pick for eight, including two first rounders. Washington's general manager at that time was Charlie Casserly, now an analyst for the NFL Network and a columnist for NFL.com. He joined me for this week's podcast. Charlie, any Bengals-related interview going into 2020 has to begin with a discussion about Joe Burrow. What did you think of him as an NFL prospect? And as a former GM, would you have drafted him number one overall or looked to trade the pick for multiple number ones? I would have taken him. Uh, I thought he was the best quarterback in the draft. You know, there's always a risk with a rookie, whether he's going to develop or not. Uh, but But I liked him. I wouldn't take the chance of multiple picks. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen with them. And if you have a quarterback you like, you take them. So that's number one. Uh, number two, what I like about him? Um, I think his intelligence, his study habits, his field vision, anticipation, uh, poison the pocket. I, mean, I saw this guy stand in there uh, with people coming right at him, and he never flinched. Uh, I wouldn't say he has a top arm, but uh, there's nothing wrong with his arm uh, to make all the throws. So, like him. We're talking to former NFL GM Charlie Casserly with no OTAs or mini camps and now no preseason games. What are your expectations for his rookie year? Well, Andy Dalton came in without a, uh, an offseason, but he had preseason games. And he went on and, and was, I think he was 20 touchdown passes, over 3,000 yards thrown. Those are ballpark figures of what he did, but I know they're close. 
but I'm not sure. It's just hard to say at this point in time. Uh, I think he's smart. I think that the offense will grow throughout the season. Uh, I think that you'll be you'll be putting it in as you go, and uh, I don't think there's any other way to to do it. Don't overload the guy. Uh, what he can do, you execute. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it's going to de- depend upon you know does he have his does he have everybody healthy with him. You know, uh, when Andy Dalton excelled, AJ Green excelled too. They, uh, they were both rookies at the same point in time. So he needs a healthy AJ Green, a healthy Joe Mixon, and a healthy offensive line. And, and if he's got everybody healthy, I think the offense can grow and he can do well. If I'm evaluating him, is he executing the offense? Make sure I don't have him overloaded. And from his point of view, uh, he can't try to make every play a home run. Uh, he can't run around there forever in the, the backfield. If it's not there, you throw it away, run, even if you have to take the sack, live for another day. So that's one of the things he's going to have to learn. Charlie, as you know, the Bengals have historically not been a big spender in free agency, but they dove in headfirst this year. What was your reaction, and was there an addition or two that you especially liked? Well, it was a little bit of a surprise, but, you know, you have a a second-year head coach. You're trying to uh, win here. And uh, you've got the first pick in the draft, and you've got a quarterback. So uh, I, I could see what they were doing. You know, I think D.J. Reader, to me, was the best free agent they signed. This, this guy's a complete player. This guy can play the run. He's strong inside. He can give you a push on the pocket. Uh, he's got some pass rush ability. You know, he was the one guy that, that stood out to me that uh, every team in the league would have wanted to have. We're talking to former NFL GM Charlie Casserly. You wrote a column for NFL.com about a week ago looking at all four teams in the AFC North, and it included some key position battles. What positions in Cincinnati do you have your eyes on? Well, they got to sort the offensive line out, I think. That, 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 that's probably uh, the key one uh, when you look at it. And, you know, I think uh, uh, the linebacker position, I think all three positions are wide open. Uh, you've got uh, Jermaine Pratt, Josh Bynes, Jordan Evans, and you got the rookies, Logan Wilson, who I like. Uh, i got to believe they'll find a starting position. Um, and then you got a couple of other rookies in there, Baylor and Davis uh, Gator. So I think on the offensive line, really, your center and your left tackle are set, I think, uh, and then everything else is up for grabs, so they need to get that settled in there. Were you a big Jonah Williams guy going into last year's draft? I liked him. I, I thought he was an excellent prospect. I thought he was a good pick. I thought I, I had him rated in the first round. Uh, I thought he was a left tackle. And I think that that's a, a very unfortunate he missed his rookie year. So, uh, again, it's, it's awfully hard to sit there and, and evaluate how these well these guys are going to play in September with 14 padded practices and no games. So I think we're all going to have to be uh, – a patient, the offensive line is always the slowest group to come together, even with a full preseason. Uh, in, in September, it's probably the uh, the lowest performing or least performing level off a group of any uh, on the team, and that especially uh, hurts a rookie quarterback. So it's a group that's going to take some time to come together, but not unlike many other lines in this league. Charlie, Joe Mixon is due to be a free agent at the end of this year. As a former team builder, how do you feel about paying running backs? Well, it's one of those things. The second contract's always tricky because a lot of them don't make it through the second contract. But if you're getting a guy that's young and not 28 when he signs his second contract, uh, I'd absolutely sign him to the second contract uh, because the age is in your favor there. 
you know, Mixon's an outstanding player. He's one of the better young backs in the league, and uh, you want to have him. Uh, the problem is, I don't, I don't know where they are financially or what Mixon wants. That that always becomes a, uh, an issue in the thing. But I'm, I'm sure they want to sign him, uh, and I'm am, am sure that they would love to have him because he's an excellent player. We're talking to former NFL GM Charlie Casserly. If you were running a team under these circumstances, what are some of the things you would be worried about going into this year? Well, I, I think the first, it starts with the building. Do we have the building safe? And, and I think teams have done an outstanding job with that. Uh, and, and so that's a credit to the teams. Uh, that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, the players, when they're away from the facility, are they going to be disciplined enough? Uh, we've taken care of one. We got them in here and got them out of every day safe. Are they going to be safe when they uh, they go away? And that's going to depend on the character of the individuals, and the maturity of the team. The team that does that the best is going to have a decided advantage this year. Uh, you can't have any situations where you're losing a number of players for a week or two at a time. That, that's going to kill you. I think the other thing is uh, uh, flexibility in scheme and leadership, mental toughness. Uh, I don't want to say that. I, I guess mental, mental toughness might be a right word, but a no excuses mentality by the coaching staff and flexibility. In other words, men, we're playing. That's what I'm telling the players. You, the bus is leaving. You're going to be on it. Uh, it's your job to be on it. Uh, that's one. But number two, what I'm going to tell the coaching staff is, you know, that 69th player we have, I expect him ready to start on Sunday because he might have to. So the coaches are going to have to get every player ready and have a plan to get every player ready um, with uh, creative practice schedules. Uh, I, I suggest that the team split up into uh, smaller groups in the early part of preseason to get more instruction for the bottom level. Uh, a lot of times the practice squad players don't get coached and prepared. They have to be prepared this week, uh, this year, because they may have to play. You may have some positive tests on Sunday, Saturday that uh, don't turn around. Uh, for Sunday. So you're going to have to put some guys on the field. So those are the principles and position flexibility. Your linebackers got to play every position. Your defensive backs have to be able to play every position. Um, but as a coach, this is my last point, you got to be flexible now. Hey, we lost three wide receivers here. Well, maybe we got to play more t- uh, two tight ends. Maybe we got to use a running back at receiver. We lost our tight ends. Well, we better have an offensive lineman or two that can go play tight end. We better be able to go four wides. Uh, we lose our running backs. Do we have somebody that a wide receiver or a tight end that can play running back for one week? You better train these guys to do multiple things because you could have that happen to you. That's quite a list, and it seems like flexibility is the, the key word in all of that. No, it absolutely is. And, and, and smart practicing during the week. In other words, socially distancing uh, maybe some of your players. Uh, what, what, what the experts believe is this is that playing football will not transmit the disease. Um, Contact tracing, um, I was told by the CDC, begins at 15 minutes. The NFL is beginning it at 10 minutes. But it's continuous, is what we're being told. There's no continuous contact on the field for 10 minutes. Now, what the bench, you have your bench spread out. You might put people in the stands like they do in baseball. Uh, I watch some of the highlights I watch in practice. I don't see uh, people spreading apart the way they should. Uh, in drills, I know when you get to eleven on eleven, it, it, you know you're playing football. But when you're doing drills, 
you're not playing football. You're standing on the sideline, you're not playing football. So those are the things that you're going to have to be disciplined about through the week. And people talked about maybe quarantine the quarterback, your third quarterback. But if you do all your meetings virtual and they don't come near each other in practice, okay, and they wear masks except when they don't have to, then it's inexcusable for uh, a player to miss. I'm saying this, and I've told some teams this, with what you set up and you go test during the season, which I think you have to do, and what I would do, I'd put them in a hotel on Thursday night. I'd start a bubble. Inexcusable to miss a game this year. Charlie, assess the Bengals' competition in the AFC North. That's tough division. Tough division. You know, Baltimore, uh, I think, is, is, is going to be right where they were a year ago as a top team. Now, whether they have the same record, I don't know. Uh, can teams catch up to their offense? Probably hard to do with no offseason and limited training camp because that's where you'd spend your extra time on, on practice and defending the Ravens' option offense, which is unique to the NFL. It's the only one run like that. Uh, I think Pittsburgh will be back uh, with Ben at quarterback. All, all reports are good. All reports in the offseason were that we're going to be good. Uh, so I expect them to, to bounce back. I mean, they, they came close last year, uh, so I think they're going to be in it. And Cleveland has enough talent to win 10 games. Now, whether they're going to do it this year, I don't know. Okay, new coaching staff, offensive lines, got some issues right now with uh, the center uh, treader out and uh, Wills, uh, the first pick, trying to learn left tackle when he played right tackle in college. So the offensive line may not be as sharp. Uh, linebackers in it is, is a question for him. But they're, they're good. You know, Cincinnati's fourth. But, but uh, they're, they're not a bad team. So I think that uh, it's a very competitive division. That's NFL Network analyst Charlie Casserly, who has obviously spent a lot of time thinking about what it's going to take to play football this year. And according to Pro Football Talk, Charlie is going to be part of an eight-person committee that will be advising NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell on issues related to the coronavirus. Marvin Lewis is also reportedly a member of that committee. Now time for a one-on-one player interview, and early this week, I caught up with tight end C.J. Uzama as he begins his sixth year in Cincinnati. It's obviously drastically different from the previous five, and I asked C.J. if the current protocols are starting to feel like the new normal. Yeah, I think uh, the first the first few days, I mean, even the, even now, a few of the things that we have to do to make sure that we're, um, you know, staying a safe distance away from one another and working out and wiping the bar down after every rep type stuff, kind of, uh, you kind of forget to do, you're, you're trying to make sure that you don't forget to do certain things. But, um, yeah, I think this is the new norm, and um, we're kind of adapting as best we can. Did you have any reservations about trying to play football in a worldwide pandemic? Um, oh, no. I mean, I think um, being in, in Nashville and uh, during everything and kind of seeing how other cities were dealing with things, it's kind of like being in Cincinnati was my best bet in, in terms of, you know, quarantining, staying away from people just because when I mean, people were going crazy just being out and um, – you know, it's kind of 50-50 whether or not you're going to people are staying home and, and trying to stay safe or going out and just carrying on going to bars and stuff. So I think, yeah, I was ready. Honestly, I was just ready to, to get back and, and get started. 
We're visiting with Bengals tight end C.J. Uzama. Let me ask the question that you probably get from everybody you know. What do you think of Joe Burrow? I think, uh, yeah, I've gotten that a lot. Um, yeah, I think he's bright. Um, you know, we were kind of talking about it today. Um, me, T.D., A.J., Joe, Bobby, I mean, a bunch of the guys, Joe, were like, you know, coming in, um, obviously he's a rookie, and, and we know that he had a very successful college career, but, you know, we're still thinking, man, yeah, he's a rookie, he has to run the plays, you know, the checks, all these things, and he, he is killing it to us, you know, I think, um, you know, he's leaps and bounds what anybody had expected him to be um, in terms of mentally, you know, we knew what he could do physically with throwing the ball and putting the ball in certain areas and positions, but um, I think mentally he's, is what's um, been the most surprising and in the best way. By the time we got to the national championship game last year between LSU and Clemson, it was pretty obvious that Joe Burrow was likely to be the number one pick in the draft and, and wind up being your NFL teammate. Did you watch him use tight end Thaddeus Moss? I think he had two touchdown passes in that game and get excited by his use of the tight end? Yeah, for sure. I, I did. I think the two things that really excited me about the tight ends were yeah, him using uh, Moss and then, you know, I think – during this, uh, during OTAs or when OTAs were supposed to be going on, and during the off season, he was kind of thrown with two hometown tight ends that he had, and um, you know, hearing both of those things and seeing that happen, I was like, man, this is going to be, this should be fun. You know, I'm, I'm going to be sure to keep getting in his ear a little bit just to, just so he knows, hey, I'm, I'm there. We're chatting with CJ Uzama. This is the first time in your Bengals career that your buddy Tyler Eifert is not part of the tight end room. How does that impact you? Yeah, it's, it's different. It, um, you know, obviously I was um, a critical and crucial part in, in the tight end that I've become just because I've had an ear to, you know, a person just to pick his brain every now and then. And um, having him around was always amazing. He's, he's going to be a lifetime, lifelong friend for sure. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's put um, you know, a different type of, uh, you know, deal on my plate right now, I think, you know, being the oldest in the tight end room now and um, kind of having that weight on my shoulders. I kind of like it, honestly, uh, going out to practice and knowing that, um, you know, right now I'm that guy. So uh, we have a really good tight end room. Um, I'm really excited about everyone we have. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, honestly. I think we have, we, have a, we, have some, we have some good things coming for the tight ends. CJ, you're only 27. You never have to use the word oldest, or at least not yet. <laughs> well, right. No, it's, it's crazy to me. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, yeah, I'm the oldest one in the room, but I'm not old. Like, I'm, I am convinced. I am telling myself right now I am not old. Um, it, is, it is funny to think that I'm the oldest one in that room. I tell myself that I'm not old all the time, but in my case, I am. Unfortunately, let's talk about no, another no, guy. No. Let's talk about another guy in the room, and that is Drew Sample. Uh, he missed the the second half of the season basically last year, his rookie year. But it looks like he's come back in in tip top shape, a uh, little bit stronger than he was as a rookie to get ready to block some of those uh, big defensive ends and linebackers. What do you think of Drew? Yeah, I think. Um... You know, that second year is where you make the, the biggest leap in terms of um, your production and kind of slowing down the speed of the game, I think. So, um, yeah, I've been, I've been pleasantly pleased with, you know, how, how he's um, – the stuff that he's taken. And like you said, he's gotten, gotten stronger, gotten faster. Um, you know, 
obviously we've only had really one day against the defense really where we're going full for, for an hour and a half, but um, the route that he's running are more crisp and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see kind of what he has in store when we put those full pads on, because I know he's, um, he's going to be a force for sure. Spending a few minutes with CJ Uzama during your time in Cincinnati, the Bengals have historically re-signed the best players on the roster, and you were a guy that earned a nice second contract uh, so far in Cincinnati. But this offseason, the Bengals were among the big free uh, free agent spenders in the NFL. DJ Reader, Von Bell, Trey Waynes, most recently Mike Daniels. What was your reaction to that free agent spending spree? I think my my reaction was just like everyone else who's been here for, you know, 15 15 years. we're very surprised in the best way. You know, we're, we're uh, I called Gio after one of the days, and I was like, bro, what is, go- what's going on? Like, this is, I, I didn't know this was going to happen. Like, I, I was, this is very unexpected. And, um, you know, I think, you know, talking to Coach Taylor and the coaching staff, you know, they just wanted to get the best guys with the best character, and that's what we brought in, honestly. I mean, I know Vaughn has had his interview, and I know if you don't know, Vaughn wakes up at like 4 o'clock in the morning sometimes beforehand because he beats his alarm. And, you know, it's those kind of guys that I want I want to play next to. That that makes me want to play harder for, for the defense and the guys across the ball just because, you know, they're bringing that work ethic and that that killer mentality of, you know, I want, I want to be the best. I want to do everything I can to make this team the best. So um, I, I'm, I'm hyped. I mean, we, we got some good guys in there. Um, it's a lot of new faces for sure going into the locker room and, and now getting it, being able to interact with the guys. But um, I can tell they're high quality. And, I mean, from what, I've, from what I've seen so far, they're really good. You referenced your good buddy Giovanni Bernard. Is he still rocking that full mustache? Oh, my gosh. We, I mean, can we get a petition to get that thing removed? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> He's still he's still rocking the mustache. He's gonna rock it for a while, I think. Um, I know his wife Chloe likes it, so you know this, hey, that's the only opinion he cares about. He, I can come in and rag him every day, but if the wife he likes it, he's fine with it. So um, I think he's gonna let it rock for a while. Happy wife, happy life. Truer words exactly. were never spoken. <laughs> CJ, you are a a world traveler. In a normal year, in the off season, you would go see someplace you've never seen before, or do something interesting in the off season. I always always enjoy hearing about your escapades. Were you forced to just stay in Nashville this whole off season? So yeah, I was actually supposed to go to Australia for a little bit, and that trip is now halted till next year. Um, but I was actually able to go to Jackson Hole, um, Wyoming, and I was able to go to Aspen for the X Games. Um, and right when I got back, everything got shut down. So uh, I was able to travel twice, and then other than that, I was grounded in Nashville. Not your normal uh, off-season, but hopefully you'll be able to get to Australia and knock that off the bucket list sometime soon. 100%. My thanks to C.J. Uzama, Charlie Casserly, and Dave Lapham. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.